Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien, and joining me today are semantic threat researchers Bridget O'Gorman and Candid West. In this week's podcast, we'll be talking about IoT security, including a look at a new IoT botnet that was built in just one day. We'll be hearing about some major new data breaches, in addition to talking about what credential stuffing is and why it poses a data breach risk to online retailers. But first, let's take a look at a new piece of research that our network protection team put out this week. They've uncovered a cyber espionage group that we call LeafMiner, who've been mounting attacks on a wide range of governments and businesses across the Middle East since at least early last year. So what are they up to? Our investigation found that uh, there were attacks against targets in Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Israel and Kuwait. And once they broke into the network of a targeted organisation, they usually followed a similar pattern of activity, looking for email data, files and database servers on compromised target systems. In other words, good old fashioned spying. This investigation threw up a couple of interesting things. Um, I suppose the most significant of which was that our researchers found a compromised web server that was being used by the attackers. That provided them with like a treasure trove of information as we found that the group had been using it as a staging server and it was home to their entire arsenal of malware and other tools. Once a target was compromised, additional tools were downloaded from the server onto the victim's network. What was found on the server provided our researchers with a lot of information about what the Leaf Miners group's tools and tactics were. And one of the most interesting things we learned about the group was that they seemed to be actively keeping abreast of developments in the cybersecurity world. As uh, new attack techniques were uncovered and discussed in the news, LeafMiner would often attempt to incorporate them into their toolkit. So, for example, they developed exploit payloads for some of the tools that were leaked by the shadow brokers, including the famous Eternal Blue exploit, which was used in the WannaCry and Pecha attacks. Our team also found evidence of attempts to scan for the heartbeat vulnerability, which was discovered a couple of years ago and made a lot of headlines. And we also saw it mimicking the Dragonfly Group's use of watering hole attacks to harvest network credentials. So what we can see here, there's a group of attackers that appear keen to learn from others. But there's also plenty of evidence that suggests that there's some inexperience on their part, particularly their poor operational security. They made a major blunder in leaving the staging server publicly accessible. Anyway, that's just a little taste of what we found in this investigation. If you'd like to read more about LeafMiner, you can get the full report on our blog, which is at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. The next thing we want to discuss this week was data breaches because it's been another bad week on this front with a few major incidents occurring. We've got Candid here who's going to tell us a little bit more. Yeah, as you say, unfortunately there's no week without the data breach it seems. I mean, one example is being in Singapore where um, the health records of about 1.5 million patients have been stolen. So that includes name, addresses, gender, date of birth, but also prescription details and other quite sensitive information. So it seems like um, the healthcare company Sync Health got compromised through a frontline workstation. And from that machine on, the attackers then went to actually access the database. So this does, of course, remind a lot of the work of the Orange Worm Group uh, that we have reported on earlier as well. But the exact details are yet not really clear and probably unfold in the future. 
But let's talk about another case which actually happened in the cloud. Um, and kind of a week ago, we saw about hundreds of thousands of US voter details publicly exposed through an Amazon S3 cloud pocket. So this means that anyone out there can actually access this uh, cloud data storage and then download the records or, um, of course, get browsing through it and all that without even need of a password. So the data exposed included voters' full name, home address, uh, political affiliations, but it also included stuff like gender, phone numbers, age, uh, and demographics like ethnicity, language, and education. So a lot of details that you probably don't want to have online, even if you might find a few of those in social networks already. The 2,600 files out there seems to be from 2013 to 2016's data and all belong to a political campaign company in Virginia. So probably they just didn't properly secure the data storage and therefore now we have that data breach. Yeah, there's a lot of um, fairly, um, a lot of comprehensive uh, personal information there. It's the, it's the kind of information that if you acquire on people, it could be easily used for identity theft uh, type attacks, isn't it? Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, this, this isn't the first time we've seen uh, incidents like this where uh, cloud buckets have been accessed. Um, I think there was a case um, maybe about a year ago when there was data belonging to nearly 200 million American voters uh, collected by another company that was found uh, online. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So unfortunately, there's more and more of those data breaches happening. And since, of course, the data goes to the cloud, a lot of those data breaches happen in the cloud. So you, you quoted one there with uh, another American voter database being breached. But we also seen um, about 60,000 files from a U.S. defense contractor being shared online, including uh, some credentials to actually access the Pentagon and other networks about 111 gigabyte of financial data and credit records of another company were exposed that way. And even stuff like blood test results um, were actually accessible online for anyone. So it's a lot of data. And actually, a colleague of mine, Mario, um, we did a study together in 2015. And we were looking at the Azure cloud from Microsoft and their data buckets. And we could identify about 16,000 misconfigured accounts in just a few hours. And some of them actually contained credit card transaction logs. Others contained usernames and password credentials. So again, a lot of sensitive information. It's clear that it's not really a new phenomenon, but it seems like people haven't really learned. And they keep adding sensitive data to those public cl cloud buckets. And so unfortunately, it seems like there are going to be more and more of those uh, data breaches happening over time. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I, I guess we're, we're not saying there's any vulnerability in Amazon or, or Azure here um, on their part or any flaw in their cloud services. It's simply bad configuration on, on the part of people using the services. Is that right? Exactly. It's just bad configuration. Actually, Amazon even helps you and warns you if you have a bucket which is open to the public. And there's some simple steps that you can use to create a access control list would then break it down that not anyone from the internet can actually access it. And even if you're not trusting those, well, there's other tools like S3 Inspector ready available that can check and browse if any of your data pockets is visible to everyone on the internet. 
So be sure to use those tools because the hackers are definitely using those tools and probably will find your data as well. Yeah, I mean, there's less and less excuse really now to have improperly secured uh, cloud databases. Uh, now, our next item is, is kind of related because it also concerns data breaches, um, in this case, potential data breaches caused by what's known as credential stuffing attacks. Bridget, can you tell us what a credential stuffing attack is and uh, why it's in the news this week? Yeah, sure. It's also, I suppose, a consequence of data breaches as well, in a way, because credential stuffing attacks are where cyber criminals take usernames and passwords, which they've generally gleaned from data breaches. Um, from the Daily Breach of One website, and then they attempt to use the same credentials, the same username and password combination to log into another website. And this is why we're, you know, blue in the face and advising people to use unique passwords and to make sure that they always change their passwords um, if they've been impacted by a data breach and also to implement additional security measures when they can, like 2FA and that kind of thing. And the report that came out this week was the 2018 Credential Spill Report, and it has some um, interesting findings in it, one of which is, which kind of underlines the degree to which cyber criminals are trying to carry out these attacks and, you know, using this information that they glean from data breaches is that um, 90% of average online retailers' login traffic comes from cyber criminals attempting to carry out these credential stuffing attacks. So it's a huge percentage of um, the traffic to those sites. Wow. So nine out of 10 login attempts are actually cyber criminals trying to break into other people's accounts. Yeah. In, um, in the online retail sector. Now, retail is the most targeted sector, obviously, um, which is probably unsurprising because I suppose online retail sites, people, it's probably where people are most likely to have saved their credit card information so that they can make purchases easily, that kind of thing, which is obviously what cyber criminals are hoping will be the case if they do gain access to your account. And then with a lot of these online retail accounts or online retailers, um, they're very anxious to make the kind of process as seamless as possible for you so that you'll go from looking at something something to putting it into your basket to purchasing it. Um, so they generally don't put in any kind of blockers to that. They try and make it very quick, very smooth, you know, so they don't necessarily have like two-factor authentication or anything for you to make a purchase. So, I mean, that makes it quite um, enticing for cyber criminals. But they wouldn't be the oh like it's not like the only targeted sector. Um, other sectors that were heavily targeted. Um, that this study found were heavily targeted included airline websites, where about sixty percent of the login attempts were were credential stuffing attacks. Banking, where it was about fifty eight percent, and hotels, where it was about um forty four percent. And this report estimates that these attacks are effective about three percent of the time which doesn't sound like a great rate of return, but the numbers that we're dealing with here are, are pretty large. So actually it equates to quite a bit of success for the cyber criminals in these cases often. Okay, yeah, I mean, 3% of, of, of 98% is, is still quite a lot. So what uh, what exactly, uh, what, what numbers are we, are we talking about here? So this report was looking at 2017, and in that time, 51 organizations reported breaches, but this equated to about 2.3 billion credentials being spilled. So it's a huge number. Um, and this included like major reported skills such as Yahoo, which obviously revealed that um, an, an ex- another 2 billion accounts had been breached and um, which hadn't been reported previously. And then also the Equifax breach, which we've discussed 
on this program uh, before. And also there was a breach at a Chinese streaming service called Yuko, where 101 million credentials were spilled. And then obviously various other smaller uh, breaches as well. And the estimated losses from this activity, this credential stuffing fraud, top 5 billion per year in America and the US alone. And so it's a huge money spinner. And the criminals make this money from these attacks in a variety of ways. Say on retail sites, they may exploit their account takeover to buy goods that they they may then sell on, you know, on the kind of grey market, even on legitimate sites for, you know, lower than the cost price. Or else they may try to return them in store, like in person in stores, because some stores, if they're branded goods, they're obviously from that store, they will return without a receipt. Some stores offer that as a, you know, kind of goodwill gesture, but cyber criminals can take advantage of that. And then other things that they often do is they may buy, buy gift cards, using the person's credit card at the then sell on. And then if it's things like hotels or free, or airlines, they may do things like attempt to sell people's frequent flyer miles or loyalty points of accounts they've taken over. And in some cases, then they also get to access personal information that they can potentially sell on dark web marketplaces too. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways, isn't there, that um, they can exploit stolen accounts. It's not just ordering goods and getting them sent to themselves. Um, So it really goes to show that uh, like one data breach can lead to other data breaches, especially if you reuse your credentials. If your uh, credentials are leaked in one breach, they can't, you know, if if you reuse them again in other accounts, the, the, the attackers will try them. Exactly. Okay, um, now I suppose we're going to move on to something completely different um, because we'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about the Internet of Things. Uh, that's because there's been a few stories surrounding the IoT this week, uh, the most dramatic of which is that there is a new IoT botnet of this on scene. Uh, it comprises of some 18,000 devices and it seems to have been created in just one day. Uh, Candid, uh, you've been looking into this one. Uh, that's a pretty worrying overnight development, isn't it? Are we going to see something like the next Mirai botnet coming towards us? Well, let, let's see about it. But it's true. Various researchers have noticed a spike in attacks against Huawei routers. And it seems that some attackers are actively exploiting one of the old remote code execution vulnerability. Uh, that's one from last December. Uh, to be more specific, the CVE 2017-17215. And that's a remote code execution, which works over the port uh, 37,215. It's a classical one that can be used to uh, compromise Huawei routers. And it's actually not the first time that we've seen that um, vulnerability being used. So in the past, actually, uh, the Satori and the BrickerBot we're also using the same Huawei router vulnerability to compromise devices around the globe. But it seems like now a hacker uh, which calls himself Anarchy claims that he's behind this botnet and infected 18,000 devices in just about 24 hours, so one day. Looking a bit closer at the IP count, it looks more like it's rather the 10,000 devices. And if we talk about unique devices, which of course is still bad, right? It's still a lot of devices, but it's nowhere near the, the size of Mirai, which had a few hundred thousand infected devices at the end. Still, I mean, the number of bots from this Anarchy botnet is of course still growing. And there's already indication that he's now started actually using another exploit, an old exploit for real tech routers, 
um, which works against port 52869. So it's probably going to add a few more bots to uh, this botnet. And I think in end, it just shows that it's still relatively easy to compromise IoT devices which are out there, and specifically routers because they're accessible from the internet. Um, at the time of writing, well, it wasn't really clear if the motivation behind the botnet is for DDoS, as in the past, or if they will use it for click fraud, for crypto mining, or maybe for something completely else. So I guess we'll just have to wait for that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the, uh, this isn't the first botnet to go after these vulnerabilities is a little bit worrying. And it's also quite scary that an attacker can so easily create such a large botnet in such a short space of time, is it? It's definitely scary, yes, but not really surprising, right? I mean, as I said, 18,000 is actually not that big, but it can still generate a lot of damage. Um, so that's definitely clear. And what it shows is that a lot of people do not patch their IoT devices, right? Uh, there has been a patch for this Huawei router vulnerability since last December. So a lot of people probably don't even know that they have to patch their IoT devices or it's not automatically scanning for patches and therefore not installing it. And this, of course, makes it very easy for attackers to use known old vulnerabilities to infect such devices. So if you combine the exploits together then with weak default passwords, which we have already talked about in previous podcasts, then of course that makes it very easy for anyone out there to create his own botnet with any of those IoT devices which haven't been properly secured, and then they can misuse it for anything that they want. If we actually look at our IoT honeypot that we have at Symantec, we noticed that um, from the first half of 2017, compared to the first half of 2018, we had an increase of 159% of attacks against our honeypot network. So it's definitely clear that there's still an interest in those devices and this interest is growing from the attacker side. But luckily, it could actually even be worse, right? Um, as with tools such as MassScan or ZapMap, someone can easily map the whole IPv5, uh, IPv4 internet space in about 10 minutes for one port. So you can scan the whole internet on one TCP port and then get all the responses back. And there's even services selling or giving access to pre-scanned data from various uh, different ports available. So an attacker could potentially actually make a list of all the possible routers that he can in fact by just looking at which of those has the specific port numbers open and then probably being even faster than 24 hours in infecting all those devices. And you guessed it, unfortunately, we already have seen a few attackers misusing data like this. So I'm afraid we're probably going to talk about IoT botnets in the future podcast as well, as it seems like another topping that's not so easy to get away. Yeah, so the moral of the story really is um, keep your router uh, updated with the latest patches and don't use default passwords. That's definitely something to keep in mind and to follow, yes. Okay. And of course, one of the reasons why um, IoT botnets are so easy to create is that uh, the security and IoT devices themselves can often be quite poor. Um, we've had another piece of research highlighting that this week, Bridget, haven't we? Yes, we have. So the, the bad news about IoT devices um, continues. 
with new research this week claiming that nearly half a billion smart devices are vulnerable to what are known as DNS rebinding attacks. And I mean, Candid mentioned their vulnerability that's been around since last year, um, still being present on some I, uh, excuse me, on some IoT devices. But these DNS rebinding attacks have actually been around for more than 10 years. They were first discovered in 2007. Because okay. they can obviously be applied um, to other devices rather than just IoT ones. But recently there have, but despite how long they've been around, there have been various reports recently about uh, DNS rebinding flaws being present in various kind of individual devices from certain manufacturers. But this new research indicates that really those reports were only kind of the tip of the iceberg and that in fact a really wide range of IoT devices are vulnerable to these types of attacks. And what these uh, DNS rebinding attacks do is they allow remote attackers to bypass firewalls and then use their web browser as a proxy to communicate directly with vulnerable devices on a local network. So as I said, it's not just IoT devices uh, that can be affected by these, but IoT devices are perfect for these kinds of attacks because there could potentially be many of them on the same enterprise network if you think of smart printers, routers, all that sort of thing. So then attackers can potentially use them to facilitate surveillance and data theft activities. Yeah, they could be sniffing away at an awful um, lot of things. So what exactly uh, are the devices that um, are vulnerable to these kinds of attacks? Well, this research says that nearly all types of smart devices are vulnerable to these attacks. Um, IP cameras, phones, printers, routers, smart assistants and even smart TVs. So say, for example, this uh, research indicates that about 165 million smart printers are vulnerable, 160 million IP cameras and 14 million routers with the total for all devices coming in, as I said, at almost half a billion. And I mean, Candon has already pointed out the issues with protecting IoT devices and the issue with protecting against these types of attacks as well is it isn't necessarily terribly simple. It isn't really just um, it isn't just about applying a patch. It would kind of require disabling of certain services on the devices, updating of firmware and changing passwords. So it will be a big it's a big job, really, for an enterprise that would potentially have thousands of devices and as we have seen with other attacks targeting IoT devices as already mentioned it can be difficult to protect against them and sometimes this is due to vendors not issuing patches and not addressing the flaws and sometimes it is down to consumers not updating their devices or passwords so it's kind of a it's not an easy one to solve really. Yeah, and uh, there's been a couple of other incidents this week where we've seen attacks targeting IoT devices. So uh, the IoT attacks, they're not just uh, in theory, they're in practice as well. Yeah, so really underlining, you know, why this is kind of an area that uh, needs to be worked on. Uh, yeah, there were a couple worth highlighting this week, definitely. Um, in Russia, it came out, a hacking, uh, it was emerged that a hacking group called Money Taker, um, a good name exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly um, was able to steal one million dollars from a bank um, after it gained access to the bank's network via an outdated router so the group was able to infiltrate the network of the PIR bank um, via an outdated router in one of its regional branches um, and then it maintained presence on the bank's network for a while um, and was able to eventually uh, gain access to the system that controlled the bank's financial transactions 
And once this was this happened, it was transferred the funds, the one million dollars from the bank's account to seventeen accounts that it had created in advance. And then all these accounts were pretty much immediately cleared out by money money mules, um before the bank realized that it had been hacked, um and this report says that as well it's not the first time, um money taker has used this technique of targeting a router to gain access to a network and apparently has already used this technique in, uh, three of its previous attacks as well so it's clearly something that you know attack groups are aware of that they can kind of leverage this poor IoT security. Um, in order to gain further access to a network to carry out these kinds of attacks. So it's not just a one-off, this is like their modus operandi. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be something that, that they're doing um, in a pattern, yeah, definitely. And then elsewhere this week it emerged that, perhaps unsurprisingly, as we saw something similar in Singapore um, a few weeks ago, but there was a massive spike um, in cyber attack attempts on Finland during the recent very high-profile summit there between um, US President Donald Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin. And as I previously said, um, the same thing happened in Singapore a few weeks ago when uh, Donald Trump was there meeting um, King Jong-un. Um, but in this one, um, was interesting because it was actually, seems to be primarily IoT devices that were being targeted as well. Okay. So Finland is not normally um, a country we hear much of as regards being targeted by cyber attackers. But during the week of the summit, there was a huge increase in the attacks on it. And many of them were attacking IT devices, with the number one attacked port being SSH port 22, which is used by IT devices generally for remote administration. Um, and most of these attacks came from IP addresses in China. Obviously, we can't say who's actually behind them, but that's where the IP addresses were based. Um, and it just goes to show, you know, that any internet connected device has to be kept in mind that they can be targeted and potentially accessed by outside attackers. I mean, presumably the aim probably of whoever was behind these attacks in this case was to, you know, leverage an IT, IoT device to potentially, you know, eavesdrop on the summit. But now obviously we don't know if the any of these attacks were successful, but clearly um, this it was being highly targeted and clearly the attackers saw IoT devices as kind of the weak link that they were targeting to try and gain access here. Yeah, as you say, Finland isn't usually uh, no. in the news for cyber attacks, so it seems to be more than just a coincidence that it was the, the week of the summer. Yes. So it looks like somebody might have been casting their net widely there um, by by going after IoT devices to see what they could um, uncover and what they could break into. Um, okay, um, that's about all we have time for this week, I'm afraid. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, don't forget to subscribe to us. That way you won't miss out on your weekly dose of uh, cybersecurity talk. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at threatintel or Medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel. If you want to read our latest research, check out our blog, which uh, can be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We're going to be back again next week when we'll be once again looking at what's going on in the world of cybersecurity news. Uh, until then, thank you and goodbye.